Welcome back in to another episode of George in the Jungle. I am Aaron Smith, joined as always by my cohort in crime, George Vogel. And this show is brought to you by Remington Tavern. Remington Tavern is located at 8892 Glendale Milford Road, 45140, where they have daily happy hours from 3 to 7 p.m., $5 Woodford Wednesdays. You can find them on Instagram at Remy Tav Cincy. That's R E M I T A V Cincy with a Y, or you can follow them on Facebook. And a little bottle cap bingo on Thursday nights. <laughs> I feel like I, I, I know I follow them on Instagram. I feel like they do karaoke some nights. They got all sorts of stuff going on at Remy. Yeah. Tav, so. Yeah. My brother in law did pretty well at that bingo not too long ago. There you go. Oh yeah, yeah George. On. How the hell have you been? I'm all warmed up here. I got this hat on, long sleeves. It's nasty weather out, and I feel like crap. But I'm here, I'm ready to go. <laughs> you know, woke up yesterday with a tickle in the throat, and it got worse and worse and worse. Uh, today it wasn't much better, but I think I'm rounding the corner. I've had so much orange juice, cranberry juice, water. Just trying to flush it all out of me, I guess. For lack of oh, a better speaking term. of rounding the corner, speaking of rounding the corner, these Bearcats rounded a corner after halftime on Saturday, and they took out the UCF Knights, 68-57. Of course, we will get to that here shortly, but there was plenty of football news this week as today. The schedule came out for your Cincinnati Bearcats. I do have it pulled up here, and we can go through it together. And they are starting the out-of-conference on August 31st against Towson, following that up on September 7th, hosting Pitt this go-round before they travel to Miami, Ohio. Then they host Houston. They travel to Texas Tech. There's a bye week. They travel to Orlando to face the directional school down there. Hosting Arizona State as they are joining the Big 12 this year. Then they travel to Colorado. And the first glimpse we're going to get to see of Coach Prime. Yep. Hosting West Virginia. Traveling to Iowa State where our defensive coordinator is going to meet some very familiar faces. Kansas State, uh, we are at Kansas State on November 23rd. Um, what is that, right? The week before Thanksgiving, I guess? Yeah. I guess. And then, uh, and then hosting TCU to cap off the season right after Thanksgiving. Well, it, it looks like um, hopefully you see it's going to get better as the season goes along because that schedule certainly gets tougher as the season goes along. Uh, but that's a good thing for this Bearcat team coming off the season they had. And, uh, you know, they're going to have a bunch of new pieces in there and, and a new quarterback, a lot of new guys on defense, a new defensive scheme perhaps, certainly a new defensive coordinator. So, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, sets up well for them as far as I'm concerned, given what 
they're coming off of and what they're they're going to be trying to accomplish getting this thing going and getting it turned around and getting it in the right direction um you know you got you got the totally uh cupcake to start with and then Pitt comes in that's here this year uh Pitt struggled as well mightily this season then comes the old trip I, I like going back to Jaeger Stadium. A lot of people, a lot of UC people don't like that at all. I'm all for it, man. I say go up there and play those guys there, and and uh, maybe this year they'll be taken a little more serious. And then you get in the Big 12 play, but it's nice to get in the Big 12 play with a Houston team that's, you know, going through a lot of changes themselves and uh, uh, didn't have the best season this year. UC got them down there, and – and they get to get their feet wet in conference play there. So, I mean, 4-0 start, am I crazy? I mean, it should be. I agree. Uh, I'd be disappointed if it's anything less than 3-1, and one, especially as you're hosting the two toughest teams on that schedule, Pittsburgh yep. and Houston, in those first four games. Um, and you simply cannot drop a second straight game to Miami, Ohio. No, and Miami's losing a lot from that team. Um, and that would turn out to be a pretty darn good team, by the way. Um, you know, I, should you see a loss to them at home? No, they shouldn't have. But Miami was probably a lot better than a lot of people thought at the beginning of the season. Uh, they held up pretty well throughout the season. So, uh, But they are losing some guys. They lost some guys in the portal that are of value. Uh, other guys moving on out of eligibility. So. It's going to be a different Miami team, and um, I think you're going to have a very focused UC team given what happened this year. So I love the front end of that schedule, and I think that gives UC a chance to get off the ground and get running. I absolutely agree with you. And, and let me look, check that Texas Tech game real quick. Did I see they're playing that at AT&T Stadium, or am I crazy? It says Is that AT&T Stadium. stadium. That's not the same as the one. In, it says it's in Lubbock. That's not the AT&T Stadium in, right. in Arlington. It's not, it's not Dallas. No. no that's, that, that's not that, that threw me for a loop when I saw that. I'm like, that gone. I, I I would kind of be interested in going to that game um, if it was there. I, although I hear Lubbock's a good time, too. Never been there, uh, but I hear it's very underrated. Um, I just I, I don't know if you want to live there, but maybe you do. I don't know. But uh, – I hear you can have a pretty good time and go to Lubbock. But, you know, it starts to stiffen up there because you're going on the road and, uh, you know, you're, you're playing a team that's that's been there and done that, and then you go to UCF, and we know what a what a place that is to play. That's uh, that's not a pleasant place for fans to go to, in my opinion. And But you do uh, have the vibe between those two games. Yeah, and that's big. That's big because they're two road games, and that that's – that's a perfect spot for UC to get a buy right there, the first of two buys between those two road games. So I do like that a lot. So I can't complain about anything I see on this schedule. It's just they better be ready for the back half of it. Um, but, you know, if, if if they get a chance to get their feet wet and get going, uh, maybe they can handle a couple of those down the stretch too and, and put together a decent season and make a bowl game. Yeah, it certainly does get tougher after uh, UCF, Arizona State. Uh, you're at Colorado before 
hosting that West Virginia team that trounced Cincinnati oh, last yes, year. Uh, and then Iowa State, Kansas State, and TCU to close off the season. And that's – if you're looking at anything being a gauntlet on this schedule, as Cincinnati has been voted or, or I guess statistically announced as one of the easiest schedules uh, out there in the Power Five, um, or, or maybe it was the Big 12. I don't know. I know they were they were up there as far as easy schedules go. Um, but this is probably the toughest stretch on this. The last four games are brutal, really. I mean, for Big 12 play, at Iowa State, at Kansas State, those are two of the toughest in the, in the conference. And we saw what Iowa State did to UC this year at Nippert. I mean, that was just, um, you know, they, they had no answers for that defense. They got manhandled. And certainly at West Virginia, too. Uh, Kansas State, we saw how tough they were this year and what's what uh, that coach out there has going on. And then, you know, TCU, not sure what to expect. They weren't what they were the year before, but that's always been a tough program down there. Yeah, it'll be obviously extremely interesting to see how this plays out. We, we aren't really sure what this team is going to look like as they do have plenty of new faces between incoming freshmen incoming transfers on this Cincinnati Bearcats team and even some new faces or, or at least one in particular on the defensive coaching side of the ball as uh, defensive coordinator Tyson Veit was announced yesterday by uh, Coach Satterfield in a press conference and he comes from Iowa State so obviously extremely familiar with this conference. He was there for eight years. Uh, he served as the linebackers coach there. He is also, uh, he was also the assistant head coach. Um, so plenty of, of skins on this, uh, on his big 12 wall, if you will. Yeah. And, and he knows what it takes to slow down the offenses in the big 12. It's been, you know, an explosive offense type of conference. And maybe one of the outliers in that has been Iowa state and the way they play and not, not that they haven't had some high-scoring offenses. They've had some very high-scoring offenses, but they've always had a defense to go along with it. And to do that in the Big 12 has been pretty tough to keep some of those um, high-powered offenses under control, and they've managed to do that. And watching his press conference, he was impressive. And he, he's, he's the guy, at least he came off as the guy I thought he was when they hired him, a guy who – you know, says he's a Division three guy and was out there lining fields, mowing grass, that kind of – he's done football from the ground up from the coaching standpoint and seems to hold on and, and doesn't look beyond being a football coach first and doing it at the ground level and developing players and having relationships with players and, and trying to make them better. Um, that that's the kind of stuff those guys at those division three schools have to do because, you know, they're doing it without the big budgets and, and all the scouting and everything that you do when it comes to recruiting, um, they're doing a lot of that legwork and, and he seems to have held on to that and does that at the division one level. And that's probably why he's successful and, and why he's, uh, been able to accomplish the things he has and, and appeared to be the defensive coordinator and waiting out there. And I'm, I'm kind of glad you see swooped in and got him. Another thing that caught my ear too, as he talked, um, is 
looking at the players, you know, he's not committing to a 3-3-5 with three safeties and all that. He's going to look and see what he has on hand. Now, you do have to get, you know, you do have to get your scheme in, and that's what your players come up through and all that. But that's something he can do a little of the time while working with what he has. And I was really happy to hear he was open to doing that because, you know, too many times guys come in and this is what we're running and it's just so dysfunctional off the bat. This makes me feel better that, you know, there's not going to be wasted time with this defense trying to figure out, am I supposed to be over there? Am I supposed to, well, what am I? Yeah, and he talked about keeping things simple so guys can play fast. And that's certainly what I saw at Iowa State defense. Um, and, and we got a good look at it up close at Nippert Stadium. So I was really, really uh, pleased to hear him say that, that he would, you know, kind of mold what he does around the personnel. And I think that makes a very, very good coach. Yeah, he's not going to try and do square peg round hole. With uh, yeah. based on the, the personnel and just being stuck in his ways or anything like that, he kind of made it sound like he was going to evolve the defense based on what he sees and based on what spring shows him. I said this on uh, the nightcap that Chad and I already recorded, but I, I would be very surprised if the defense that we see in spring ball resembles everything exactly in the fall, and then again come you know week week five, week six, week right. ten. I think that we're going to see some just a lot of different looks. And I think that's good as he gets more acclimated with the personnel that he has, with the coaches that he has. And that was another thing he mentioned was we're not even sure where we're going to see these coaches. Yeah. As far as the defensive coaches go, he may move some guys around and shuffle some things up. And that's honestly probably good too, for some of these coaches, if they're able to maybe get their feet wet in some different position groups and, Maybe they're they they were working with last year. If if they want to move up and become a D coordinator or, or something of that nature as well, so it's good things. Yeah, I, I I took all positives out of it too. It's going to be interesting in spring ball. Um, you know, he, he sounds like a stickler for fundamentals, so they're going to drill that into their heads. You right. know, start to finish in spring ball. So I don't know how much they'll get installed there. I'm sure he'll get some stuff, but. It'll be interesting to see that spring game and just see what the defense does, if anything, at that point. But uh, I, I'm excited. The guy, he, as I said, he, he spoke the way and talked in terms that I thought that's what they were getting when they got this kind of coach with his background. And, uh, you know, I, it, and then the other thing that struck me, and I think Chad fired this question at Satterfield first, about going outside his inner circle. I mean, these coaches generally get the guys they know and they fit and all this stuff and people they've worked with before. Um, and he had some guys he could have hired that would have been that comfort pick, that he would have been comfortable with and known, but he went outside of that because this guy impressed him, his record impressed him, and he actually took the big view and what's best for the program, and that's not what is best for Scott Satterfield and his comfort. And I right. think C fans should uh, should maybe latch on to that and and find some find some hope in that because last year, you know, during games and you're sitting there, it's like, does this guy not want to make any changes because this quarterback's stinking and we need somebody else in there and this and that and and you know he, he stuck with the quarterback a lot when a lot of people thought 
He should have made changes in certain situations, but he's not afraid to make changes from what I've seen since the end of the season to now. He's made a bunch uh, with player personnel and, uh, you know, from what I'm perceiving to be showing guys the door and then going outside of his circle, outside of his tree to get a defensive coordinator. And uh, so that, that, to me, him being able to embrace that kind of change that he sees the program needs and, and go out and do it and shake things up, that's a positive. That shows me a guy who, uh, you know, like the rest of us, weren't very happy with what he saw last season. Yeah, Tyson Veit comes in with some accolades of his own. Uh, he has uh, he, he coached three straight years of three all, all of his linebackers being uh, all of his starting linebackers being all Americans uh, or all conference rather. Yeah, all conference. He has three all Americans as uh, under his belt as well. Um, but those three guys being back to back, well, three linebackers being back to back to back, all conference guys. That's that's an impressive note on your resume. Very impressive. And that's that's why you want that dude coaching linebackers here, right? Sure. I mean, with that kind of record. I mean, you got to stick with that and, and let the other chips fall where they may. But they'll figure all that out. And, um, you know, I, I think he knows how to coach. He knows what he wants. And uh, I, I'm excited to see what he comes up with. And, and I'm really glad UC got him. I didn't know a whole lot about it. I don't think he was on anybody's radar when this defensive coordinator search started, but uh, now that they have him in and, and you know what he's done, where he was, and you listen to that news conference, it makes a heck of a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, Ohio native to boot. So what the heck? He's back home. He's happy. And, uh, you know, hopefully he's got enough relationships in this state that, that some of that might show up in recruiting. We'll see. I'd imagine that that'll show up pretty quickly in recruiting as – I would I would think that he was probably the one spearheading a lot of the Ohio visits uh, from Iowa State. As I mean, I I don't know if you remember one David Montgomery ended oh, up there. Yes, I do. I I, I, I was sick <laughs> and ended up in Clifton. To be honest, at one time I believe David committed to Army, and then uh, you know they, he was such an incredible player at Mount Healthy. My God, um, I'm just not sure why. You know, a certain coach in Cincinnati got on him so darn late and, and let him scoop him out of here because he was a no-brainer. And, uh, you know, there's, there, there's been a few guys he got uh, – Iowa State got out of here that uh, I wish they hadn't. Sure. Well, hopefully the, the times they are changing as we see, a you know, to your point, another Ohio guy now on this roster – well, on the, on the staff and uh, – Interested to see where this goes come spring ball and then how different it looks even as we get into fall camp, summer camp, whatever we call it these days. Fun to be talking college football, though, you know, on, on January 30th. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Um, so uh, hopefully it, it'll be a, a more positive season this time around. Uh, it probably can't be worse, can it? Never say never, George. I know. I know. I've said that before, and I've, I've stuck my foot right where it doesn't belong. So hopefully I didn't just then. But I, I, I see bigger and better things for this team going forward, and I, I like this higher. 
Well, as I said, we were going to get to the win by the men's basketball team on Saturday. They were down 12 at halftime to the Central Florida Golden Knights. They hate when they're called that. But Cincinnati comes back, holds them to 18 in the second half, and wins by 11. This was a crazy game, George. I know that you said that you weren't able to catch it all live. You went back and rewatched the whole game. It was a crazy game. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing scores. I was, I was at an event and couldn't watch until the last and, and until the Newman dunk. Uh, but I'm seeing these scores. It's like, what is going on at Fifth Third Arena? Um, Started out 15-4. Yeah, and, and, and then, you know, they go on like a 13-0 run. Then it gets tight again. Then they go on a 10-0 run. But, yeah, you see, after they scored 15 and had the lead, they were outscored like 33-12 the rest of the way in the first half. And, I mean, the Knights caught fire, okay? You see made some mistakes, uh, some turnovers. I know I was glad to hear Wes after the game. Because when I went back and saw the replay uh, and had a chance to watch start to finish, I'm watching this game blow up on them. You know, and they're down. What were they down at half? Eleven, something like that. Um, Twelve. Twelve at halftime. But I, I'm like, yeah. In transition, they were kind of getting lost and getting beat and making mistakes defensively. But I didn't think they were that bad playing defense overall in that half. And boy, that 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 Avery kid got red hot. He's just throwing in three, threw in those three threes, which were. Uh, I mean, a couple of them, he was guarded decently. He's out there. Well, take that back. A couple times, Aziz kind of let him take it. But I'm like, I'm looking at this big guy, and I guess you got to know who you're guarding. He needed to get out on him. But I think Wes talked about that specifically after the game. They'll fix it. But um, I do want to say this. I spent most of December bellyaching because Wes always talks about you hang your hat on defense. You did. I didn't see good defense early this season. And I think it's getting better and better. I give him and the coaching staff credit. They're getting them to where they want them to be defensively. They're they're a pain in the butt defensively right now. And they've got some kids playing at a high level. And we saw that in the second half. The second half, that defense paid off. Uh, it, it paid off in spades. I mean, they, they pretty much dominated, even though they didn't get that lead for good till late in the game. But my God, they were not given they were not giving Central Florida anything. Um, they made every shot tough. Every defender on the perimeter, wherever, was right in his guy's jockstrap. I mean, it, it, it was really good defense, I thought, in that second half. Now, Central Florida missing a couple of their key guys. UC was missing locking. But I, I'm giving a lot of credit now to Wes getting that defense to where he wanted it. I'm, you know. I'm watching Day-Day Thomas and going back and watching play. I mean, he was remarkable on defense. And there was a play late in the game. I don't know if you'll remember, but it looked like he ran past his man and the guy was wide open. Well, that guy took his left arm because I saw Day-Day complaining like he couldn't believe they didn't call foul. That guy took the left arm and swept him out of the way under the basket. Because, you know, he's not a big guy. So this guy was able to do something. Not that. And he totally that, – that was the one time a guy looked like maybe, you know, maybe he 
did something wrong on defense, man. But most of the way, he he was nails defensively. And John Newman, terrific as always on defense in that second half. I mean, that kid just he he calls other players a dog. He's a dog. And then uh, the the surprising thing to me is Dan Skillings has become a damn good defensive player now. And in that second half and down the stretch, his defense was so darn good. Um, I, I got. I mean, I'm proud of that kid because he. I don't know that he made himself that. The coaches probably have a lot to do with it, but. Um, he, he's all in on this defensive philosophy now, and I, that's going to make them tough. I don't know what happens tomorrow night. We'll get to that in a minute. But what I saw in the second half of that game Saturday night uh, got me a little bit excited about seeing some good old-fashioned, you know, lockdown Bearcat defense again. Well, one of the pro- uh, one of the points that you've brought up this season, uh, especially as we've entered conference play, is shortening the bench and playing the hot hand. Cincinnati played the hot hand this this game in particular, yeah. more so than any game that they've played. As you saw, Skillings, Day-Day, Newman, Simos, all above 30 minutes. Uh, you really didn't see – I mean, you only saw six minutes from Jamil. You saw 11 minutes from Odie, and, and he played some really key minutes coming in for a, a sick Vic. Yeah. Um, Josh Reed, only 10 minutes in this one. Jizzle, only 11 minutes in this one. So you pretty much stuck with the the five guys, Aziz with 27. Uh, you pretty much stuck with the five guys that were your starters. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, um, that that's that's what you got to do in games like this. I mean, guy, look, Jizzle struggled a little bit in this game, and I don't. he's going to be fine. I don't know, you know, there's the old freshman wall and all that. I don't know if that – translates anymore because these kids play so many darn AAU games. I don't right. know if there is a freshman wall anymore, but but he'll be fine. I don't think we have to worry about him. Um, but something just wasn't quite right with his game Saturday night. I don't know what it was. And maybe some other guys were sick. I was wondering that about Reynolds, if maybe he was a little off or sick. But I'll tell you what, Odie surprised me. He came in and gave good, positive minutes, good, positive plays. Um, I, I would love to have that Odie every game and, and hopefully he finds it here down the stretch and, and, and can help them in situations like this, because, you know, you got big Vic out of the game sitting and, and that's, you know, even though he hasn't played all that well offensively lately, that's, that's a big part of what they do trying to dump that into him and maybe him kicking out, which, um, you know, that that's, that's a big part of their game plan going in offensively, and and he's not there. So uh, it was good to see Thomas Skillings and 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 Newman carry the load the way they did, though. Um, they were needed, and they responded. Um, I, I'll tell you the other thing I loved about the second half. And first half, they did have some issues rebounding as well. There were some, you know couple times they got beat on the boards and gave up offensive rebounds they shouldn't have given up and it wasn't like you see but but um that was all the first half there were some some issues but that second half offensively and they're playing they're playing a team that's playing small but they attacked the darn basket like crazy not just in transition but in the half court and that's what I want to see out of this team don't settle for these threes. That's killed them, and so many killed them at Kansas. 
um, attack, baby, just attack. And they did. And, and, and I thought it worked really well. And if you're wide open and you got the three and it's in rhythm, okay, you guys are college basketball players, especially, you know, the guys Wes gives the green light to. And sometimes I think he might give it to all of them to shoot threes. But um, if you're, yes, okay, I get it. You can take that shot. Thank God Dan Skillings did to give him a seven-point lead late in the game. But the way they attacked in that second half, you play like that all the time, that three ball is going to open up a lot more for you. I mean, and, and that doesn't mean you settle for it every time. Uh, and they didn't. And the second half, I saw CMOS pass up an open three. And it's like, and they work it, and they got and they attacked. And, and I'm just, I'm all for that. Uh, maybe it doesn't work every game against every defense, and it depends on who you're playing, but they, to me, seem to play a lot better when it's that style of offense. Well, and don't, get, don't let it be lost that UCF was a top-10 defense in the nation coming into this game. Yeah. They have been excellent defensively. Yep. And, and, you know, UC did a good job going at that big guy, too, and getting him some fouls early. and, and Ibrahima you know, Diallo. Yes. yes that, that's, that's how you play the game, and those are things – you know, you, you have to do, and, and that certainly hurt UCF with him having to hang on the bench a while. So I, I just – He played I was five minutes, George. That second half and just everything about it and, and the way they attacked. Uh, you know, Day-Day still missing too many layups. I don't know what's going on there. Man, he, he roasts people and gets to the rim, and I don't know why they're not going. Um, that's, that's, that's something that he's got to clean up and figure out. And um, – I'm I'm confident he will because he's such a darn good athlete. I, I think he's going to figure that out. And I don't know if he's just going in too fast or what's going on because he is he, he is quick. But if he can learn to finish those things, you know, then you know he was three for something in that game. I forget what it was, but he'll three tighten, for eleven. Three for eleven. He'll tighten that up a lot more if he just makes those layups. Yeah, Diallo played five minutes before he fouled out. He, he only got to play That's five amazing. minutes in this game. He he had two like that. And uh, then I'm thinking when he got his third, I thought, are they going to get him out of there? <laughs> they they uh, they finally did. But, yeah, that that was uh, definitely in UC's favor to do that. No, he got, he got his fourth like 30 seconds later. Yeah. They left him in with three, and then that, bang, on the that, next possession he gets his fourth. That, that reminds me of a certain NCAA tournament game a long time ago. Oh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Chad, it wasn't a UC tournament game, but that's okay. We still won't talk about it. Well, we do have uh, breaking news as Texas Tech did lose a second conference game to TCU. Uh, so wow. that's it's not a bad thing. No, it's um, not. The other games right now are going, I guess, kind of as expected. Oklahoma's up 11 on Kansas State in the second half with about 12 minutes left in that one. And Kansas is up 16 on Oklahoma State with six minutes left in the first half. So some good Big 12 action tonight, and we'll have some tomorrow night. Yeah, there will be plenty going on here in the next uh, 24 hours in the Big 12. Um, I don't know. Just you, you had to win this one at home because 
after having lost already two at home, two close ones at home, you, you can't lose to a team that you're statistically probably better than both on paper and just with the eye test in UCF. Uh, but then you have West Virginia coming up on the schedule and you maybe can start to string some wins together after having one on Saturday. So West, Vir- West Virginia is an away game on uh, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. West Virginia's they're reeling a little bit. Obviously, with Bob Huggins being gone, they had some Raekwon Battle wasn't able to get his mission onto the team until everything went down where they started allowing two-time transfers and all that. Uh, it's It's been a, a messy season for this West Virginia Mountaineers team. And they're still, it seems, trying to figure out who they are as a team. Yeah, they two and five in the Big 12, but those two wins are very impressive, Texas and Kansas. Um, figure that out. I know against Kansas, they dropped a lot of threes, so they probably need to be hot outside to make that, you know, to be successful. But th- this mess for West Virginia started back last, uh, you know, last spring, early summer when they lost their head coach. Bob Huggins and that whole situation started. And so no hugs at West Virginia anymore, which is just very, very odd to think about. Um, You know, they've got uh, Josh Eilert is now the the head coach who's been with Huggins for a long time. Um, I guess he was a grad assistant at Kansas State when Bob took the job there after the whole thing fell apart at UC. And that guy's been with him ever since. And is now the head coach, and they they had a lot of grad transfers come in, and and there were a lot of people picking them to be a much improved team this year because of all that. And then, you know, with the coaching change and all that, and they probably I don't know what else has happened with them, but it just hasn't come together the way they thought it would. Um, really, they gave up conference. They didn't beat a whole lot of people that you know there there may have been one win in there. That, that was of any quality at all. Yeah, on Saturday they gave Oklahoma State their first conference win. Um, just not a not a great look for West Virginia here. No, but but all that being said, um, they are tough to beat in that Coliseum down there. I don't know what the atmosphere is going to be like when they're playing like this. Uh, we shall see. But but they are tough. They've been tough over the years down there. Um, of course, that's with Hugs as head coach, but still, uh, we'll see how that shakes out. It's not a give me for UC by any stretch uh, to go on the road and win in the conference down there at West Virginia. But um, I like the way UC's playing, and I like the options UC has. Hopefully, the health is good, and they have everyone back, and and they can go down there and handle their business. It seems like. Uh, uh, as I said, you know, they got Raekwon Battle. They got that um, son. They got the point guard, yeah, who I guess UC was interested in a little bit. when It looked like he might transfer in the summer, but I guess Eilert talked him into staying with the uh, Mountaineers, or maybe he did, didn't he say he committed after they named him the interim head coach, I think. Yeah. That's how that played out. So they got some talent. Um but we'll just see if UC can go down and be a nice win. I don't care how West Virginia is struggling. Um, 
I saw that this was kind of injury. First of all, they haven't played West Virginia, I guess, since 2012 from the old days of the Big East, which is kind of weird that they haven't played them in that long a time because you used to see them, you know, all the time in the Big East. Um, and 10 and 10 all time against West Virginia in basketball, mm. the all time series. However, the Mountaineers have won the last four. Not that any of that means anything because that's been over 10 years since they played. Sure. But just interesting little tidbits that, stood out to me when I was looking down the game notes and, and seeing what the Mountaineers are all about. I got there out of conference in front of me and the wins that they have, they beat Missouri state. They beat Jacksonville state. They beat, uh, they lost a close one to at the time, 24th ranked Virginia. They beat Bellarmine. They beat Drexel. Um, they beat Toledo. That's the one I, I thought was an okay win for them out of conference was Toledo. Lost, and lost a close oh one to Ohio State. So Someone just brought up Bob in that mustard suit. Have you ever seen the mustard yellow suit? It was terrible. Terrible. Okay. Terrible. I was I, I actually it's funny that got brought up by Bearcat Mick because I was looking at that earlier today. I'm like, <laughs> remember when he played UC? I, I Mick was coaching. And the game was down in West Virginia, and he comes out and the shoes matching yeah, shoes. matching mustard shoes as well. Yeah, oh, it was so, so gross. That so was gross. that was so fun. I couldn't believe he did that. God, he, he he's something else. And and I know um, I've I've seen some things of what's next for him, and I don't know. Uh, some people think he should run for governor down there, but. Um, I don't know if he'll coach again. Um, I, I would rather him enjoy life, but I guess if he wants to coach, God bless him. Um, hopefully he gets a chance to do that, but I, I don't know. But I know that uh, Frank Martin opened up a few weeks back about what's been going on with Bob and, you know, said he hasn't drank a drop since last summer. So I, I, I hope that's the case. And, and I hope he's doing well. I saw him at the UC Hall of Fame event, and he was certainly, you know, looked good and was doing well there and, and, and was back with all his guys, and, and and that was good to see. I mean, I I know there's, like, this weird, like, relationship with him sometimes, with, with but I think most of the Bearcat faithful uh, like the guy, appreciate what he did here, and, uh, you know, wish nothing but the best for him. Certainly that's how I feel. I remember when he first got to town and they made the NCAA tournament in 92, we were just getting to know the guy. And he was young and we had him on our Sunday night show when they made the tournament. I guess that was in, that, that must've been 92. And he was scouting the first, uh, the first round opponent on that Sunday night after the selection show. And after our show at 1130, he told us to come over and meet him at his office and uh, so we did the right thing. We brought a little beer with us and sat there and Hugs had his own 12 pack. He's pulling cans out of scouting the first round opponent and, and kind of telling us, walking us through it. It was really cool. You just don't get that opportunity very often. And uh, yeah, he told us, you know, he was doing his job and, and watching and my God, I don't, he was, he was still there when I left around three o'clock. Yeah, the Delaware Blue Hens. That's who he was watching. It was funny. 
but he was that kind of guy. He he would do stuff like that. And uh, you know, that's just that that pretty much endeared him to everyone around here and and certainly he did the same down in West Virginia. Well, it should be interesting to see the way it goes. Again, with, with West Virginia coming off that loss to Oklahoma State, they probably don't have a great taste in their mouth right now, being that's the only team that Oklahoma State has beaten in conference. So on their home court, we'll see what these Bearcats are made of. Hopefully that sickness that was going around the team has run its course and it's not still affecting the team. Um, I know somebody in the chat here, it looks like uh, Daniel Wade asked about C.J. Frederick. I don't yeah. expect them to see C.J. Frederick in this one. Um, I know he's uh, there's been mention of him just getting back to practice. I can't imagine that they're quick. They're going to be quick to rush him back out there, despite this team really needing a, a three-point shooter anywhere on this roster. Yep, that would help a lot. And, uh, and hopefully he's coming along and comes back and, and is – you know, back in time to help them down the stretch. And then as they go through, uh, hopefully for them, the NCAA tournament, um, that would be good to see. Yeah, I, I, with yeah, his injury history, with his injury history, I can't imagine they're rushing him back any quicker than he's ready and able to do. So Yeah, and it's a shame. And, you know, those things are just – you know, you're relying on feedback from the athlete. He wants to be out there. And I, I feel like maybe, you know, he came back too soon the first time. I don't know. But but I can see how that happens because, you know, he's back playing, having fun. He wants to be out there. And it's just, man, it's tough to gauge those kind of injuries and what you can get away with and what you can't. And they, they do have to err on the side of caution. But uh, – Man, for his sake, I, I hope he gets back and gets to have some more fun this year. It's a real shame. I agree. Uh, again, it's especially just knowing how much this team needs somebody to hit a three-pointer, whether home or away at this point. Goodness gracious. Oh, and had a big one Saturday, darn it. He did. He did do how about that. 21 points on his 21st birthday. That's a fun little tidbit. That is. And seven rebounds to boot, so – um, switching gears completely, moving to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, last week we talked about how we didn't have an offensive coordinator as Brian Callahan had departed for sunnier, better weather. Uh, but Dan Dan Patrick or Dan Pitcher, I'm sorry, Dan Patrick. Dan Pitcher. Uh, Dan Dan Pitcher. Is Dan elevated graduated from Mason High School and worked at Channel 22 in Dayton before he became big time. That one, that's Pugh, a little different. He was Dan Pugh at the time. Dan Dan Pitcher is your new offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. He, of course, was your quarterback's coach the last three seasons. Um, before that, he was an assistant quarterback's coach for a season with the Bengals as well. And he was an offensive assistant. He, he's been with the Bengals since – 2016. He's been yeah, with the Bengals for, for a long, long time. Yeah. Marvin Lewis brought him in. And, you know, the thing that you would feel good about this, I think, first of all, two years ago, the Bengals knew probably eventually, even if not after that season, one of the upcoming seasons, they were going to lose uh, Callahan to, to a head coaching job. And they knew that. So they had their eyes on someone. They felt good about Dan Pitcher. 
um, everyone in that organization, including the head coach. And I think they were very, very comfortable with this transition. We'll see how it plays out. It doesn't always work out on the field the way it looks on paper in the offseason. Um, I know, you know, the Bengals lost their offensive coordinator. I can't remember exactly what year it was. It was under Marvin, and they brought up the quarterback coach, and pretty much it was kind of a disaster. Um, but that doesn't mean that happens this time. I, I think they've had their eyes wide open knowing this day was coming and knowing that they needed to have someone they could go out and get or somebody in-house that they felt like could take over the reins. And the other thing about this was uh, a ringing endorsement from Joe Burrow. And, you know, no one's worked closer with Joe Burrow than Dan Pitcher. And I got a feeling if there was any friction, any doubt, any, if Burrow had any reservations at all, uh, the Bengals are not going to saddle him with someone he's not comfortable with. And, and we know how this goes. We know how the quarterbacks are, especially the franchise guys like a Joe Burrow. Um, first and foremost, for your offense to work, you got to have that guy comfortable and, and, you know, all in on what this offensive coordinator is selling. So that makes me feel good about it, too, because they know, you know, that's the guy that out of everyone in the organization, the guy who really needs to be comfortable with Dan Pitcher is Joe Burrow, not not Zach Taylor, not Duke Tobin, not Mike Brown, you know, not Katie Brown, not Troy. It needs to be Joe Burrow. And and what he said was, was pretty glowing. And I think if he felt otherwise, they probably probably would have bent to his wishes and and found somebody else that they think could be their offensive coordinator. So um we'll see if it works. I I just I, I'm big on continuity at that level too. Uh you see a lot of teams struggle when they have to change things and change offenses. It doesn't always work the first season. And the Bengals are, you know, see how things play out here with free agency, but they still got a good roster that they can think should be able to make an AFC championship game next season. It's Katie Blackburn, not Katie Brown, George. You may have known her as Katie Brown. <laughs> or she was married. Yeah. <laughs> so that was only like 40 years ago or whatever. <laughs> that wasn't that long ago. No, I would say, well, I'm not going to guess. But, yeah, I think she got married in the 90s to Troy. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see how this goes. I'm not one to be up in arms over the hiring of a, an offensive coordinator. I'm curious, extremely curious to see if over his tenure here as offensive coordinator, if he's going to be the guy to pry the offensive play calling away from Zach Taylor uh, or, or what his role, as I'm sure they're going to be asked plenty about what his role in the play calling is and how involved he is, um, what kind of freedom that's going to allow Joe Burrow, because I can't imagine you're taking – 
anything. His his role in that regard is only going to continue to expand over the course of his career. Uh, I, I don't think you're gonna you're gonna reel that in by any stretch. Um, so, just interested to see how some of those things go. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how that play calling thing will go. I mean, I I, I I'm guessing Zach's kind of going to hold on to that, but um, but when Joe's in there, we know how that works. Of course, I was Joe gets something I, he doesn't like. <laughs> I was I was. A, I was a little excited to see if maybe they'd make a complete switch and and go after Joe's previous OC Joe Brady. Right. Um, thought that would have been a a fun match with that would have been Jamar and I, I, Jamar and, and Burrow, but that's that's um, that's a very unbengal like thing to do. Now they've been very, I agree. They they've been very unbengal like here over the past few years on some of the things they've done. But um, I, this is this is a move out of their playbook, though, to bring a guy up from. Yeah, it is. It totally is. And and let me tell you something. I would have been OK with that move, too. I really I, in fact, I don't know that guy that well. And I, I would think if you're really doing your due diligence and I, I don't know, they may not have considered anyone else. Um, it seemed like they had this kind of lockdown from the get go. But, but it would have been worth sitting down with your quarterback and talking to him about that guy. And, and maybe that guy has no interest in coming here, but my guess would be getting the old band back together might have been enticing for him. It's kind of funny because a lot of people who do like the, the mock um, off-seasons, because Daner puts out his, his spreadsheet now, Paul Daner of The Athletic puts out his spreadsheet where you can kind of do your mock um, – off seasons and signings and what have you. A lot of people have Joe Mixon leaving and Clyde Edwards Alaire coming here from the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I, I think that's just more of that, just people fantasizing about getting like the the twenty what was the twenty nineteen LSU Tigers roster back yeah. here and, and seeing if we can set the world on fire with the most prolific offense the NFL has ever seen, but. Well, I'll tell you what, the two guys the Bengals have got has worked out. Um, they just got to keep Joe healthy, man. I mean, I, I just hope like heck he gets through training camp and just everything goes well. Um, that, that's uh, unfortunately, I mean, you look, you know, you talk about the, the best quarterbacks and all that and who's the best right now. And, I mean, I think right now you have to say the best is Patrick Mahomes because he's always out there. I know you hate to hear that, but he's always out there. He must be made of rubber is all I can figure. But um, Joe certainly, when healthy, can can go straight up with him and beat him and has beaten him and has looked better than him. I They just need to figure out, and I know there's been some bad luck in this, and, and I hope that bad luck goes away because he's had enough of it. I mean, come on, you know. The knee, which the the line just you know was miserable that year, but they fixed that line. Is it always perfect? No, but they they the Bengals have worked to fix that line. Uh, they have, but then you know the appendicitis thing and and <laughs> the wrist thing. I mean, it's just there's been the calf thing to start the season. Yep. There's just these things that I, I don't know. You know, 
you can't lay them at his feet. They just happen. And, and I hope that's behind him now. And after he gets past this uh, wrist surgery thing, gets there, gets a full training camp. And, and you know, I, I just believe when he's on the field with the Bengals, they've got a chance to win every game they're in. Real quick before we switch topics here, uh, thank you to Daniel Wade for the donation. We do appreciate it. Yes, sir. Um, says thank you for answering his question. Go Cats. Um, I know you had something that you wanted to talk about in regards to the free agents that are coming up for the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. This was kind of interesting because ESPN had this uh, list of top 50 free agents. And, you know, you go down, you know T. Higgins is going to be in the top 10. He was – uh, where was he? Number seven on the list, I think. And then, you know, I'm going down the list, and, I, and something that caught my eye. There's a lot of good defensive linemen and a lot of edge guys out there. Uh, I don't know what the Bengals are going to be looking for, but um, but then you drop down, and then you get the uh, Wujie at number 29, Jonah Williams at 30, and DJ Reader at 32. So the Bengals have four of the top 32 free agents on that list, which is which is very impressive. And then you look at who they will keep. I mean, you think they got the cap space, right? I mean, it appears they do. Yeah. Will they keep T. Higgins? Um, I mean, they can tag him and, and, and swallow the one-year thing, and they got the space to do that. Uh, I don't know if that's what T. wants. Um, but I, I – I don't know what they'll do there. It's going to be really interesting to see. But Awuja, I think you kind of want to bring him back and Reader. But Jonah Williams, I think, is just a straight walk. I don't think – I mean, he's like the number three tackle on that list. And we know what offensive linemen make, especially tackles. But it's going to be interesting to see how they play all this. And they've got a lot of other free agents, potential free agents, you know, on down the list. And this offseason – you know, it started with this this offensive coordinator thing, but man, they got some huge decisions coming up with with player personnel. Yeah, I would imagine any of those four guys that they leave are going to give you a pretty good compensatory draft pick. Um, so it's not as if the Bengals are going to be left just high and dry on any right. of these guys walking. Um, that said, I don't know. DJ Breeder is hard to make an argument for a guy who's had injury history the vast majority of the time that he's been here despite the leadership despite the leadership that he does provide and how just he's a freak athlete the way that uh, his the difference body in the run defense when he's there and he's not is stark i mean the, it's the, night day. the way his body can move for a man of his size is absolutely insane uh but i don't know we'll see what happens with with t potentially you know he doesn't he says he's not going to play for a franchise tag we've heard plenty of guys say that um but he could end up being a guy who's tagged and traded uh he could end up just being like like go to walk he who knows what they're going to end up doing with him yeah i don't I know i mean i i don't uh i don't envy duke tobin this offseason because this is really um and, and they've known this is coming and they they've got he's got to have a plan and he's got to have some ideas and they can draft a guy. I mean, they're they're high enough. They can draft a wide receiver, and you know they'll slide someone into that void slot. They've got a couple candidates uh, in house for that. Um, so I don't know. I don't know, but it's going to be really, really interesting 
to see how they play this. And I have a feeling coming up, we're going to be having a lot of Bengals news week by week with what these right. guys are doing and who they bring in and who they lose. Yeah, but having four in the top 32, for I, I don't know that the Bengals have ever been in a situation where they have that much talent on their roster to where they would have four of the top 32, according to anybody's rankings. And uh, so obviously they're doing some things right here over the past several years. Yeah. Normally for a team like the, for the Cincinnati Bengals, they lock these guys down at some point right. during the season, if they plan on bringing them back. So to have this many guys at the top of your free agents list is crazy. It is. It is, but as they say, you can't sign everyone. Um, and I don't this know. A, it's on Bengals like though for them to not be in a bad contract at the end of somebody's potentially Correct. at the end of somebody's career, where you know maybe you had signed DJ Reader to an extension and end up with a couple bad years now because of that extension or, or something like that. So right, right, and I, you know. Hopefully that injury is, uh, you know, he's over that and, and are able to get over that and able to be productive. But that's a question mark. I mean, what do you do? Can you sign 30 them? years old, right? Right, exactly. So, but someone's going to offer him more than a one-year deal, right? Someone. I would, I would, I would think so. But do you want to be the team that ends up with a, a bad contract? Exactly. It's kind of, I, it's kind of like – I don't know. It's it's almost and like there the are there are some defensive tackles out there too, and they yep. may choose to bring in a younger dude. I, I don't know. There's some guys out there. Chris Jones is a, is a guy who's going to be a free agent after this yes. season. Yes. And, well, I wouldn't mind seeing that dude in some stripes. Could you imagine? <laughs> I, I, I have. I have imagined. I promise <laughs> you that. Well, and, and that would be a, you know, that would be an, a, a very understandable move. And what the heck? Go get him. Get him. You got cap space. Go. Spin saying, that rule off. Well, he's like 30, right? I mean, but I'm watching still, him in the playoffs, and he's he's I know. He's still out there as opposed yeah. to Yeah, I mean, how about the Chiefs defense? I mean, we talk about and they talked about this on the game the other night. It's weird. It's like their defense is what's kind of carrying them in the in this uh playoff run. Well, that and Kelsey has somehow figured out how to play football again. So oh. good on him there. Yeah, that game he was having. I mean, my God, he just tore them up early in that game. What did he end up with, 11 catches? Uh, uh, he passed Jerry Rice for most receptions in the playoff. Yeah, history. that was impressive too. I mean, that's – that's. Uh, I, I have to go back and look at the number of games each has played, but that's still – you're talking about – the best wide receiver of all time, basically. Yeah. So uh, just another another record for another Bearcat and a prolific career, uh, despite how much I hate the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> so it's such a weird dynamic, you know, because I, 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 yeah, I get all that, but I, I'll tell you what, I respect them. I respect what they've done on the field. It's just, um, but yeah. Uh, who are you rooting for, though, in that game with the Ravens? That was just brutal. And then I couldn't pick a side I wanted to bet because usually, okay, you know, but, and, and I'm like, I can't bet this game. I, I can't bet against Mahomes because I, I just – I never can doubt that guy. And I couldn't give the – you know, I 
I just uh, so I, I steered clear. So I, did yeah, I. I steered so clear because I. I wanted I wanted nothing to do with any of it. I actually didn't bet at all on Sunday. I didn't bet on the Lions game either because the Lions at some point were going to to do what the Lions do, right? And man, boy, they but, did. But you know what? Thank goodness for that two point conversion they got. Because <laughs> I did bet on the Lions, and boy, was I laughing with five minutes left in the third quarter. Why didn't I bet them? Just you know, money line the win, and then and then, holy God, that fourth down blew up, and then the and you know what about that? And I know, and I love that coach. I love that coach. But daggone it, the one time it was like fourth and three. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I think they passed on third down and then went for fourth down anyway. It's like if you're going to go for it on fourth, why didn't you turn out a couple yards? And and you know what I mean? It's just I don't know. Dan I don't Campbell know. must not have made Dan, that decision before that play. Dan Campbell has proven himself to be a guy that is all gas. Yeah. No no breaks. I'll tell you so, why. I, I, at least he owned it after the game. No, is, <laughs> that is that is an emotional dude. Yeah, well, he's done an amazing job up there, and and uh, it's fun watching those players talk about him and how much yep. they love playing for that guy. Because you know when he came in and he had that emotional press conference and he's crying and all this stuff, and then they start off under him. They were terrible the first like six weeks, but man, oh man, since then he has had them playing some ball, and nobody wants to play him. Well, San Francisco did, and it yeah, yeah, it did. But for two quarters and ten minutes, they were in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless you got anything else, George? No, I'm good. I'm gonna take some more cold medicine and call it a night. Unfortunately. All right. Well, we do hope you feel better. But that's gonna wrap up another episode of George in the Jungle. Again, brought to you by Remington Tavern. You can find Remington Tavern at 8892 Glendale Milford Road, 45140, where they have daily happy hours from 3 to 7 p.m., $5 wood for Wednesdays on Instagram at RemyTavCincy with a Y, and follow them on Facebook. But for George Vogel, I'm Aaron Smith. We'll see you next week, Tuesday night, 9 o'clock.